chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to, town of, to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You weren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up, up in him from the eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come back here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said, you, for you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true.
As I said this morning, um, kind of have a different message. Along the same lines, though. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard uh, the word ragamuffin used before? Anybody know what a ragamuffin is? It's usually always used as an adjective. <laughs> ragamuffin. Yeah, ragamuffin. A ragamuffin is somebody that looks a little raggedy, that doesn't have their, their life together. Look like I've been told my whole life. My, I, we, we'd, go to, we'd get ready to go to church, and, and Mom would, would come in and inspect us. Change that shirt, it's got a stain on it. Or put something else on. Preacher's kids can't be seen looking like ragamuffins. Ragamuffins. You know what that taught me? That taught me at an early age, it was about David's age, and it taught me this, that I had to get my things together before I could go to church. That's what it taught me. It taught me that I had to get my life together and look presentable before I can go meet God or before I can go to church. Ragamuffins. I'd like to tell you that I grew out of my ragamuffin stage, but I haven't. You know what? When I went to when I started when I went to Bible college and then when I went to seminary, I learned something re remarkable. Jesus is constantly drawing ragamuffins to himself in the Gospels. Have you looked at the disciples? Twelve of them. They're all a bunch of ragamuffins. One of them was a zealot. You know what a zealot was? My rag, I brought my ragamuffin to church. With me. <laughs> a zealot was somebody, uh, he was a terrorist. He would, he, in order to become a zealot, you had to kill a Roman soldier. That was how you got into that little game. And so of, of the four kind of clubs in the Bible, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the zealots, the zealots, they were terrorists. And Jesus has a couple of them as his disciples. He also has tax collectors. You know why tax collectors were, were hated? Because they were thieves. Because Rome didn't care how much tax a tax collector collected. They just wanted their cut. So the way a tax collector made his money is he would ask for, for Rome's cut, and then he would add about 20% on top of that. And so if you were a normal citizen, you were getting gouged, and you knew why. And there was nothing you could do about it. People hated tax collectors. Jesus had a bunch of them following him. 
list goes on. Prostitutes, all sorts of troublemakers. Peter can't stop opening his mouth and causing trouble. Ragam they were ragamuffins. And they were drawn to Jesus. Why? John chapter 4 tells us of a particular encounter with one such ragamuffin. This lady was a Samaritan. Now, in order to fully con grab the concept of this context here, you've got to understand, Jews hated Samaritans. They were of the same lineage. They were all children of, Jake, of Jacob and, and Abraham, really. But after the exile, after the Babylonian exile, the people that stayed behind, they were the Samaritans. The folks that weren't carted off, they were the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were seen as half-breeds. And so if you were a good, upstanding Jew, you wouldn't talk to Samaritans. You wouldn't have a meal with a Samaritan. You wouldn't speak to one. Racism isn't something that's new, folks. It's been with us forever. And here, Jesus... A Jewish rabbi comes to a well and he starts talking to a Samaritan woman and it floors her. It absolutely astonishes her. Why do you think that is? Just listen to the conversation. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now remember, it's about noon. So what time you'd, would you normally draw water? Remember, you're in the desert, it's hot. And 12 o'clock is the hottest part of the day. So normally, the women of that village would come to draw water in clay pots early in the morning. Before it got hot. But this lady was drawing water in the middle of the day. Why? Verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She's being a bit sarcastic right here. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this well, from this water, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I would give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw it. Why, why, why wouldn't she want to come to the well, you think? 
Well, Jesus tells us that when he's, when he's talking to her about her story. And that woman at the well, she had a story, like everyone else does. She'd been divorced five times. Now, that is a lot more scandalous than you would think, because unlike today, in Jesus' time, women couldn't, women couldn't call for a divorce. They didn't have that right. They weren't seen uh, as full standing members of the community, so they couldn't ask for a divorce. A man had to get a divorce. And so she had been rejected and cast out five different times. I wonder why she wouldn't want to draw water with the other ladies. Because remember, she lived in that village her entire life. You didn't, you didn't do a lot of traveling in those days. You, uh, you were... Born in a village, you were raised in that village, you had children, and you raised your children in that village, and you died in that village. And everybody knows everybody. So why do you think she wouldn't want to go draw well with the other ladies of the village? Because they knew her. They knew her past. Imagine the side talk that went on about her. You know what side talk is? Side talk is when you're talking about somebody and you cover your mouth because you don't want anybody else to hear. Like you're gossiping and being sinful. A lot of side talk went on about this lady from Samaria. She'd been divorced five times. I just... Just imagine what they were saying about her. Why can't she keep a man? What's wrong with her? She's got a new husband again. You can imagine. She'd heard it her whole life. She didn't want to be around it anymore. So it caused her to draw water at the hottest part of the day. Just not to have to hear it. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Side talk. Well, you know the rest of the story. Jesus comes and speaks into her life. And he listens to her. Not, not just a man, a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi. Speaks to her. Why? Because he saw something in her of value. And he didn't disregard her because of her past. That's why Jesus was so attractive to people. That's why thousands of folks from all over the countryside flocked to him. Because he didn't reject anybody. And if you're a Christian, not just somebody who said the sinner's prayer, but if you're somebody that lives the life that Jesus lived, because that's what the word Christian means, little Christ, if you live the life that Jesus lived, then these folks are going to be attracted to you too. 
because you won't be invested in the side talk, in the gossip, in the sideways glances, in the finger wagging. Talking down to people, looking down at people. Live like Jesus did. I don't know. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know which camp you're in. I don't know if you're in in the side talking group or if you're in the group that gets talked about. I don't know. But I tell you, whatever group you're in, there's one answer. Live like Jesus and accept everybody. There's no stipulations on God's grace. There shouldn't be any stipulations on yours. But we're human. A lot of times we judge a book by its cover. I, uh, you guys know me, I, I'm a social worker when I'm not here at church, and for a while, uh, more, most of my experience is the treatment centers, treatment facilities, group homes, so, things of that nature, uh, children between the ages of like, about 11 and 17, uh, is really my wheelhouse, that's where most of my experience is in, and I was at this one group home, it was a level two, and they were they were closing it down, and they were getting rid of most of their staff, and they, had, they asked me to come in and uh, kind of run it until they got rid of their last client and, and closed it down and moved everybody out. So I came in knowing what I was going to do. And one of the staff there that was, la- that was left took me by the side and gave me the skinny on all the clients. Which kids are, will be easy to get up in the morning? Which kids will, will try to fight you? Which kids are kind of harder? Uh, kind of the, the, usual, the usual things. And then he, he gets to the last kid, and he says, watch out for this kid. He's a monster. That's all he said. He's a little monster. Well, that intrigued me. You know why? The little monsters, they're not born. They're made. <laughs> and I knew that this little kid had to have had a story. Being a social worker and a pastor, I I'm, I'm, have a passion for people's stories. So time went on, and, and, and the residents that had been there for a while, they got discharged or they got moved down to a lower facility, a therapeutic foster care. And we got down to just two clients left, and I was the only staff. And I would be there about four days, five days at a time, and then somebody come in uh, from another facility and give me a two-day break. Now, how long did that? You did that for several months. You know who the last client, the second to the last client I had was? little monster. And I got to know him very well. And his story 
broke my heart. Just like the woman at the well, he had a story. Mother was a prostitute in High Point. And she would go to abandoned houses to earn her money, and she would bring him along with her. With her. And it just gets worse from there. So when he come to the group home, he was angry. But he had a reason to be. Broken people generally are broken for a reason. And if they can't find acceptance and a judgment-free zone here at Archdale Friends, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? You know, the main, uh, 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 not, I won't say the main, but a very large concern of a lot of people and about every church I've ever been to, what's the main thing people are concerned about? New members, right? They always want new members, new members, new members, new members. The ugly truth is, if, if, if we were accepting and loving, like really loving, really accepting, not just on the surface, but deep down underneath and never cast any judgment on anybody, you couldn't hold the people in this building. Because they'd find out that Archdale Friends is that place that everybody's welcome, that everybody's accepted, that nobody gets involved in any of the side talk, that they don't care how I look or how I dress. Or who I bring with me. Or my past. And if this church truly got that reputation, these, these, we, we'd, have to, we'd have to build a bigger church. Food for thought. What time is it, Linda? I don't have my phone. 22. Jesus had a passion for the broken. Do you? Because if you don't, I wouldn't go to sleep tonight with any kind of comfort. Jesus had a heart for all sorts of people. Matter of fact, his, one of his first sermons he preaches in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm not going to have you turn to that right now, I'll just tell you the story. He goes to the temple and he takes a scroll and he le- reads from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom 
to the prisoners. That was his, that was his, his motto. That was, we would say, that was his, his uh, mission statement. Is it yours? Preach good news. I'll read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to bring good news to the poor. You know, the poor didn't have a standing in the community in that day, right? Poor people, they didn't get a vote. They didn't get, uh, they weren't recognized as people. Matter of fact, if you were poor in those days, it was just generally accepted that you or somebody in your family had done something egregious to God and he was punishing you. So, if you were poor, you were less than human. And here Jesus is saying that he, he come to bring good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. All these groups of people that he's referencing in this passage, they were all considered less than. And a good upstanding rabbi wouldn't be caught dead hanging around any of those people, but you can't read the Gospels, any four of them, for more than five minutes before you see that Jesus, that's all he hangs around. Why? Because they were drawn to him. And if you live a life like Jesus did, and if you're a Christian in your actions and not just what you say, then those people are going to be drawn to you. Are they? Are they drawn to me? I have to ask myself that question a lot. Kelly and I get uh, approached whenever we go to Wendover, High Point Road. We always get approached. Panhandlers or people that need, need a break. Uh, I made a, a deal with God a few years ago that I would try to keep some cash in my pocket if he would bring people that I can help. And he's always made good on his deal, his end of the bargain. Uh, however, I made that bargain with God before David was born. Back then, I didn't mind being around all sorts of people at all sorts of times of night. Anybody that needed help. I don't know how many rides that we've given to people on Coliseum Boulevard and uh, behind Hobby Lobby and High Point and We put feet to our face. But children have a way of changing things. And last night we were at, we went to, we went to see Aquaman. And uh, this is a shameless plug for that movie. If you've not seen it, go see it. It's a good movie. After Aquaman, uh, we remember we didn't have any shampoo. 
So we went to the, the Walmart out there on, Win, on Wendover about 11.30. And I noticed that I started doing something that I used to never do. I started looking around. We got, we got, we parked, got David out, took his hand, and I'm looking around. We get in the store, and I relax a little bit. We get what we need. Tell Kelly, so we got to get what we need and get out of here. We get what we need. We get back in the parking lot. And I've got David on one side, and I've got Kelly on the other, and we're making a beeline. To the, I don't, don't look at anybody. Keep my head down. Don't want anybody approaching. Why? Because I was, I was afraid for David. And I see a uh, fella on the south end of the parking lot, and he sees us, and I'm getting David in the car, and he looks, and he starts walking over. And I said to myself, I said, Lord, not today. And I shoved David in the back seat, shut the, shut, slammed the car door, get in the front seat, and we speed out of there. You ever felt dirty? And I just had this voice in my head saying, you hypocrite. I'm capable of it too. I spend a lot of my time at Coliseum Boulevard because of my job. A lot of drug deals, a lot of Crack houses, a lot of abused children. That's my Monday through Friday. And uh, it started to make me a little jaded. Don't become hard-hearted. Don't become judgmental. Love people in spite of who they are, what they've done, where they live, or how they look. Don't talk about people. And it's easy to do. Jesus never did it. Neither should we. Jimmy Baker. Anybody know that name? You should. He's from North Carolina. Didn't he have his theme park in Charlotte? So y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Jimmy Baker had one of the largest televangelist programs in the world. Millions of dollars. He failed a temptation like a lot of people do, and he starts shaving a little cream off the top. Eventually, that turned into a lot of money, and he got wind of the police, and he got charged and went to jail. And this is Jimmy Baker. He, he ran with the big boys, Billy and Franklin Graham. All, David Jeremiah, all of them. He ran with all of them. When I found out he was stealing from his own ministry... 
Everybody forsake him. Everybody turn their backs on him. Pretend like they didn't know him. When he gets out of jail, there's only one person come to pick him up. Of the countless ministries and, 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 and sermons that he preached for other people's churches and ministries on TV, all the countless people that he did things for, only one person come to get him from prison. And it wasn't his family, it wasn't his wife, it wasn't anyone that he was related to. One person. He picked him up and he brought him home. To his home. And put him up. Give him his, give him, he didn't even have a billfold. He didn't have anything when he got out of prison. This person gave him a billfold. Set him up with some contacts and got him, got him back on the road to recovery. Only one person. You, you know who that was? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Because Billy didn't merely get up and spew out hot air. Billy lived what he preached. And that's what made him so rare. Do you live what you preach? Do you live as though what you believe is true? Or have you just said uh, the sinner's prayer and come to church when you can? Give whatever money you can when you can? How deep is your faith? 